Besides the obvious attractions, Neil believed Stephen Stills was in Los Angeles at that moment, and the opportunity to put something together with him was further inducement for heading south. Without hesitation, Bruce agreed. We were like on a mission from God, reflects Neil, and there was nothing going to stop us. Once again, Neil was acting on impulse, but unlike the ill-conceived Blind River excursion, this trip had a greater purpose, and Neil had an ally. Bruce was there with me, determined to go, cites Neil. He was as committed to go as I was. With the decision made, the only hurdle remained financing for their expedition. The problem was the two had no money. Both had lived the transient life of a musician long enough to know that you kept few belongings besides what was necessary to play. Mobility was the key. They had little to sell to raise a road stake. In the end, they sold what little they possessed, and some things they didn't legally possess. The latter turned out to be the Mina Bird's equipment. Bruce and I pawned all the band's equipment, Neil explains. It was the only way we could go. The band had broken up. Bruce and I were the only ones who wanted to be the band. Ricky was in jail. There was no Mina Bird's without him. It was the band's equipment, but it was really Eaton's equipment. Gone was his new Rickenbacker guitar, along with other sound equipment. Bruce would only bring his trainer bass head with him to California. That hasty action came back to haunt Neil years later. After he had become successful, he returned for an engagement at Massey Hall in Toronto in 1971. Learning of Neil's success, John Craig Eaton had a court order impose a lien on Neil's wages from the concert, garnishing the amount owing for the Mina Bird's gear five years earlier. I paid the whole shot without question, states Neil. I even paid for the other guy's equipment bought before I joined the band. In hindsight, it was a small price to pay when compared to the eventual dividends reaped by Neil as a result of that trip to California. There was no time to lose. With the pawn shop money fresh in his hands, Neil checked the used car ads in the newspapers and scoured the car lots. He knew what he was looking for, and he soon found it a 1953 Pontiac hearse. According to Comrie Smith, Neil came around to my parents' house to say goodbye when he had the Pontiac hearse and was leaving for California. We went for a ride in it. He didn't try to convince me to go with him. I kind of knew he was thinking of going, but I wasn't sure. He had taken the band's Ford Econoline van out to Pickering. I wasn't sure what he was doing exactly. He had me follow him in my car out on the 401. He parked the van. He had unloaded all of the Mina Bird's equipment and said, Okay, let's go. We drove through Broham Town, where he had fond memories as a child before driving back into North Toronto. About a week later, maybe even less, he showed up with Bruce Palmer, and they were leaving that night. Word of the excursion had been passed among a few Yorkville friends who asked to come along for the adventure. It was almost like Blind River Revisited. We got the hearse and left within a couple of days, Neil remembers. We took one guy with us named Mike, whose last name I can't remember, Tannis Neiman, and another girl with long red hair, and a third girl, Janine. Three guys and three girls. 
It was mid-March when the band of travelers armed with guitars, a change of clothes, and plastic bags full of marijuana bid farewell to Toronto and headed north on Highway 400. North? Neil was no stranger to border crossings. Having lived in Winnipeg, a city only an hour from the U.S. border, he had crossed to the United States on occasion. As well, the minor birds had crossed over to Detroit frequently during their brief recording career. He knew they would be hassled for certain if they crossed Windsor, Detroit, or Niagara Falls, Buffalo. Those customs posts were more used to turning away long-haired teenagers. He recalled being told by musicians in Fort William that the U.S. Customs Office at Sault Ste. Marie on Lake Superior was a safe crossing, especially late at night.